You, you just have to thank God for East Tennessee. There ain't no greater place. To, there's no greater place to live. And no greater place for God to establish a church that's doing his will, where people are being drawn to it. All kinds of people from all walks of life are coming to this place by the grace of God. God's doing something supernatural here. This is what's happening here is not the norm. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. I know you all have heard this before, but I want to say it again. This is a supernatural work of the Spirit of God where he's doing something that is unusual in this place. Amen. Even when you consider all those of you who come and the percentage of this city that actually comes to this church, if the same percentage was applied to other cities in America, that means this church would be 100,000 people or 50,000 people in one church. If the same percentage of a city or a town or a region came into a church, can I tell you that this is not the norm. This is a supernatural work of the Lord. And the fact that we are not all the same, we are different, we look the same, we come from different backgrounds and different socioeconomic levels and all that stuff of different levels of education. You got your rednecks like me from Lower East Tennessee. And then you got all kinds of other people in here, black, white, and everything in between. And we love each other because God's doing something in us. And it frames for us, and this will be kind of what carries us through this, uh, this moment together. It frames for us what I believe are the three reasons that God establishes and is establishing this particular church. Number one, because God is putting people back in their rightful place. The enemy has worked to destroy people, to pull them out of their rightful place, but God is restoring them to their rightful place. Amen. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, God is restoring people to their rightful place. And, and then number two, God is not only bringing people in their rightful place, aligning them is what, I, is what I call it, but he's also revealing to people their value so that people know that when God looks at people, he doesn't see them as outcast or, or, or marginalized or disenfranchised or they don't matter. No, everybody matters to God. And so he's revealing to us our value and our worth because it comes from Jesus. And then thirdly, he's restoring favor back to our lives. And favor is not what you drive or what you wear or where you live or who's on your arm. Favor is knowing that every day I wake up, I can do this because God is with me. Favor is God is good to me even when I'm not always what I ought to be, but I live under the favor of God. Come on, favor is clean water to drink and a place to live and clothes on my back. That's the favor of God on my life. Favor his friends and family and a church and a word and a promise from God that is at work in me. And that's what God is doing in this house. And so it becomes then the experience of us because that's one of the reasons why we as a church can deal with the broken is because we're broken too. So we don't look down at anyone because every time we look at somebody, we just see ourselves without the grace of God. Every time we see someone who's in a struggle, we say, that's me, if it wasn't for God's grace. Matter of fact, that's me, and I got God's grace, and I'm still struggling a little bit. And so when we have that kind of uh, telescope, that type of microscope, when we look at life through the lens of the grace of God, it changes everything in life. So I'll read two passages of Scripture, uh, Nehemiah 4 and Luke 7, and, uh, I, and I'm, pardon me, but I don't have time to wait for you to find it. I'm just going to read it. 
because you know why you came to this service anyway, because you know that I have to finish at a certain <laughs> time. Nehemiah 4 says, now it came about that when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry, and he mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And then we'll jump to Luke 7. It's a, probably a more familiar passage of Scripture. And it says, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And that phrase, who was a sinner, is an important phrase because she wasn't just a sinner. She was a sinner. Yeah. You do know the difference, don't you? Because Every, everybody in the city was a sinner. But she wasn't just a sinner. She was a sinner. I'm trying to keep it PG-13. Sin was her profession. Her 401K was funded by sin. Talk to me, somebody. And so, and, and when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Real nice cologne. Just tap somebody and say, you can't get that at the dollar store. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with all that perfume. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him, this is interesting, y'all, you'll like this. When the Pharisee, this one particular guy who owned the house, when he, uh, who had invited Jesus, he saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud, but he said it to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. <laughs> so I find it interesting that the Pharisee, he wasn't a prophet, but he knew. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, he's awful confident about it. I mean, he don't sound like it's just indirect knowledge. I mean, he's like, he knew who she was. I'm thinking that's probably why they wanted to keep her away from Jesus, because she might have had a website with names and lists and <laughs> stuff. So... <laughs> The church today is uncomfortable with failure and struggle and risk. The church today has painted this idea of Christianity because all we talk about is he's very successful and she's on the come up and they got a breakthrough and look at the promotion and oh my God. <laughs> really? It's as if God is only God when people are externally doing well. So when they have this, or they have that, or they've done this, or they know them, do you know who they know? Then suddenly, man, that's the favor of God. But are there at least a couple people in here who know that God's with you even when you're not on the come up? God's with you in struggle. God's with us in brokenness. God's with us in our pain. And God is more comfortable with our pain than we are with our pain. That's why we often lie about our pain and lie about our struggles and lie about our addictions because we're uncomfortable 
uncomfortable with them because we have this idea that God is a God who is only a God of those who are doing well. But if God was only a God who, of those who were doing well, how would anybody ever get out of where they are? But because he's the kind of God that loves us no matter who we are or where we come from or what we look like or what our background is or how much money we have in the bank, God still loves us. And I want you to get comfortable with the idea of risk and failure. Here's why. Because one, God took risk for you. But secondly, in order for you to move into what God has for you next, you're going to have to take some faith chances. And you're going to have to step out and trust God and believe that God is the kind of God that raises things from the dead, that lifts things back up, even our broken dreams and broken hearts. God is comfortable with the broken, and he comes. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he is close to the brokenhearted. And so there are three things that come out of this story, and it, we'll get to maybe at least two of them. But the first one is that Nehemiah, whose name Nakamiah means the breath of God or the spirit of God, Nehemiah gets it in his heart that he wants to go back and rebuild the walls of his hometown. So he's going back to his hometown to rebuild because the walls are all broken down. And so it's all dusty rubble and stones on the ground. It's all broken down. But what I noticed, friends, is that when Nehemiah went to King Artaxerxes for supplies, he didn't ask for bricks. He didn't ask for stones. He just asked for two-by-fours. That's all he wanted was lumber. He said, just give me trees. That's all I need is lumber. Now, talk to me, church. How do you rebuild a wall with just trees? How do you rebuild a wall with just lumber? I mean, you can frame it, but once you frame it, then what are you going to do to fill in the space once you put the frames up? But here's what Nehemiah knew. I don't have to buy new stones. I've got to burn out broken down stones from the other wall because the God that I serve is not the kind of God that always needs a new stone. He just needs a stone that'll get in his hand so that he can clean it and wash it up and then put it back in its rightful place. And how many of you are glad that the frame of the cross has become the thing that he's picked your life up and put it back where it belongs and suddenly you're not what you used used to be. Can I give your testimony for you? You are not what you used to be. You may not be exactly what you want to be, but you are not where you once were. Things have changed in your life. Your thoughts have changed. Your words have changed. Your demeanor has changed. Your future has changed. Your ambitions have changed. Why? Because we were dusty rubble stones that he picked up. And see, God's good like that. God will take the broken. God doesn't throw the broken out. I don't know if anybody's happy about that, but I am. He doesn't throw the burned out out. He doesn't throw the dirty out. He cleans it up. He doesn't kick it out, but he cleans it up. And the church must be like that. We have grace for people who seem perfect, but we don't have much grace for people who are struggling. But when people are in the house of God and they struggle, the Bible says, if you discover a brother or sister in weakness, he says, restore them in the spirit of humility and meekness and consider yourself lest you're also tempted. And so all of us are going to make some mistakes, but we don't need you to kick us out when we do. Can we stay? That's all we want to know is can we stay? Because the grace of God invites us in. This woman is in the same situation as the burnout stones because see the Pharisees, can I, can I say we're tripping in this church? Can I say that? I said, they were, they were tripping hard because they didn't understand why Jesus, the prophet, would spend time with the woman who'd lived her life in prostitution. 
He even let the girl touch him. Oh, my God. But here's what they didn't know about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to see them. He came to the house to meet that woman. The reason he was sitting there was he's waiting on her to show up because he had a divine appointment with her. And I want to remind you that there was a moment that we were in our place of great brokenness, but he did not avoid us, but he met us at an altar. Or he met us in a moment of prayer. He met us in a moment where he loved us, and he loved us right out of the place where we were. And so this sister, now this sister now, she had, the sister girl had it going on. Now she rolled deep. I mean, she came in with, I mean, she came in with her alabaster box. I mean, that was the 401k. You know she rolled deep because the, uh, Judas said, we could have fed a whole bunch of people with this girl's cologne. <laughs> the moral of the story is never buy your, if you love her, don't buy her cheap cologne. You going to Dollar Tree talking about, y'all got that Mark Jacobs? They say, man, he quit last month. We, and he was a nice guy too, but he left. Here's my point. What she had was valuable. In a box. But you never smelled or enjoyed what was in it until it was broken. And can I tell you that the greatest part of you oftentimes escapes when you're broken. That the greatest part of you, the most loving part of you, there's some of you that if you, if you had the boldest, you'd jump up and say, that's me. I know you're preaching to me because you remember moments in your life of brokenness. But in the brokenness, that's when God brought the beauty out of your life. In the time when you stopped depending on yourself and you began to depend on him because you weren't able to depend on yourself, it was at that moment that God brought something out of you that you were unable to produce on your own. Because oftentimes the beauty of God is trapped inside our body box that is so strong, that's so powerful, and so difficult to penetrate, but God, by his grace, breaks those things so that the beauty of Christ can flow out of our lives. Can I tell you that when you're in the midst of struggle, don't leave God, but let the struggle push you toward God. This woman, she finds herself pushed. I mean, years of, of prostitution and, and loss have pressed her to the feet of Jesus, to the feet of Jesus. There's a humbling place where what you thought would be your thing no longer does it for you anymore. She realized, I'm not going to be able to run this prostitution business forever. I'm getting wrinkles. I done Botoxed it out, baby. I can't do no more. So, so you know, after a while, she's getting, she's gotten to the place where, hey, I don't think I can keep. I thought when I was younger, I felt like I was immortal and I could do this forever. But how many of you know life has a way of showing you that what you thought you could depend on forever, you can't always depend on forever. And it presses us to the feet of Jesus. And if you can humble yourself, don't let struggle make you bitter. Don't let struggle make you resentful. 
Don't let struggle push you away from God, but let it press you toward the feet of Jesus where you humble yourself and you say, God, I'm not enough. I can't do this on my own. I desperately need you. And if you will let him bring you to his feet, at his feet you will discover your new future at his feet. You see, there's a future that I developed that you developed for yourself, and then there's a future that God has for your life, and sometimes only brokenness and struggle can bring you to the place where you start to say, God, thank you that my future is changing. She discovers at his feet her future, and at his feet not only her future, but she finds his favor. And I want to redefine favor for you because favor is not things. It's not materialistic. But favor is an ability to do what you could not do on your own. Come on, talk to me for a second. How many of you, how many of you ladies have a friend? If she's sitting near you, don't, do not look her way. But how many of you ladies have a friend and she has a husband that you simply could not put up with? If he was yours, you'd, you'd, you'd kill him and ask Jesus to forgive you afterwards. And you've said it before. You've said, I'd kill him. I'm telling you, I would kill him. I mean, laugh for a second, ladies, but I'm going to ask the men in a second, too, the same question. I mean, come on, brothers. I mean, we know some are like, oh, God, I'm glad I didn't. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but that, that girl has a grace on her life so she can handle him. You kill him, she can handle him. You don't have, why? Because you don't have the grace or the favor for that. She has the grace or the favor for that because God gave her a certain love and a favor that was not from herself, but God gave it to her. Can I tell you that as you start to walk into the future that God has for you, oh, this is, this is going to help you. There are things that will appear impossible, so challenging, but the Holy Spirit is going to give you favor and ability to walk in things that you could not walk in on your own, and he's going to teach you how to depend on his power so that now you begin to see dreams restored and vision restored and relationships restored because now it's not you, but it's God that's doing the work. It's God that's doing the work. You see, I, I want to I try to close, and I just want to talk about, about cracks. Uh, how many of you know that uh, most of us are just a crackpot anyway? We are. We're pots that are just, we're just full of cracks. And, uh, and we leak. The story is told of a man, maybe in a country like India somewhere, maybe five, six hundred years ago, who carried two water pots to his master every day. He would carry them, if you can imagine, a pole across his shoulder with a pot hanging on each side. He would go to the well, fill up both pots, put them on his shoulder, carry them back to the master's place. Pour out the water, out of both, go back and do the same thing the next day. Day after day, he did it. But one of the pots that he carried was badly cracked, so it would only hold maybe half the water by the time he would get to the master's house. The story, the fable that is told, says that one day the, the pot with the crack spoke up 
and said, it makes me so sad that I make you work so hard because of my cracks, because I'm flawed, because I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not as good as that other pot. Because of that, my water leaks out, and you have to work twice as hard. And amazingly, the servant says, don't worry about it. It's fine. I don't mind. It's okay. He says, as a matter of fact, today, pot, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just look around, see the trees, the grass, the flowers, and don't even think about it. We just carry water. And so he does that that day. And the pot gets about halfway through the journey. He says, I can't do this. He says, because I still feel bad about my cracks, my flaws, and how hard I make you work every day because of my brokenness. And then the servant said an interesting thing. He said, didn't you see the flowers? He said, you, 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 you didn't see flowers? He said, so if you didn't see them, you didn't notice that the flowers only grew on one side of the road. Can I tell you that sometimes there's a beauty that God will bring out of the place of brokenness in your life that could not be produced any other way except out of that flaw, out of that place? Can I... Can I tell you that Jesus is so in love with you and with your life that he'll even take the broken stuff and do something good out of the broken He says, he said, you didn't notice. He said, there are no flowers on the other side. That pot's perfect. It dropped no water. But you didn't just bring water with me to the master, but you watered the flower garden with me every day. And so because of you, I not only brought water to him, but I brought a bouquet of flowers to him every day and made the house more beautiful. Beautiful because God has a way of taking brokenness and using it to water something that he births out of us that becomes beautiful and it changes the lives of other people because we allow God to be God even in our brokenness and in our pain. We say, God, still be God to me because while I'm flawed, and I'm not everything I want to be. And that's not an excuse for sin. Somebody said, Bishop, don't preach like that because you'll give people a license, a license to sin. I tell people all the time, I don't know how it is down here now, but in Virginia, nobody needs a license. <laughs> they said name got a permit. They just sin, but it's, boom, they just own it. So it's not about giving anybody a license to sin. It's about giving us a license to pull the grace of God into our lives. And instead of giving up on ourselves, say, God, thank you for loving me. And I believe that you can bring something beautiful even out of the cracked and flawed places of my life. Because this is the power that exists in Calvary Church. It is the power to bring people that are cracked and broken and struggling and say, listen, it's going to be okay because God's grace is going to cover you and God's grace is going to change you and God's grace is going to bring you fully into everything that he has for your life. The devil is a liar. He should have killed you while he had the chance, but now you're under the grace of God and God is at work in you. And so I want you to stand with me this morning and I, I want to pray for you. Pastor Rob's going to come and and give final words and, and give direction if maybe you need prayer. Or maybe you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Pastor Rob will share with you a little bit. But here's what I want to do. I want to take these last four minutes that I have today. And I want to talk with you about embracing these three things for your life. That God is realigning your life and putting you back where you belong. 
that God is revealing to you your own value and God is restoring favor, the ability to do what you couldn't do on your own. And as you embrace that, I know I've said a mouthful, but then I want you to think, and God, now if you can do that in me, you can do it through me. So when you go to the job, to the classroom, or home, to the office, to the plant, to the hospital, and you run into folk who feel like they're so messed up that I don't know what God can do with me. And a lot of those people are Christians, and they've just given up, that God will speak up through you. You'll say, hey, don't you do that. Come church with me. God will help you get back in your rightful place. He'll reveal to you your true value. He'll restore his favor in your life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and let me pray for you? Matter of fact, would you do something with me as a sign of agreement? Would you just lift your right hand? You don't have to lift it high even, just, just a little bit. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come in agreement with my brothers and sisters. I thank you for every one of them, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for those broken places that it, for many of us have brought us a lot of grief, brought us a lot of anxiety. But Lord, I want to thank you today that you're the God of the broken. And so Lord, even out of brokenness, you bring beauty. I want to thank you today, Father, that for my brothers and sisters who make up this great church, that you're at work in us and you're showing us what the church is really about. We are becoming who you want us to be. And we are becoming a place for others to become what you want them to be. And Lord, if you just give us the grace, we'll share that story. Some of us quietly will share it with others. And we'll encourage them that God has a way of bringing beauty out of brokenness for his glory. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.